Hey guys, uh, welcome to another episode of SG Explained. Uh, for those of you guys who uh, are seeing a new face, which should be all of you, uh, this is Elliot. Uh, say hi, Elliot. Hi, Elliot. I mean, <laughs> hi, hi, everyone. Uh, right, Willie is not here today, and so we actually uh, are very privileged to get uh, our friend Elliot in. Uh, Elliot, you wanna you wanna give a big uh, intro and hi to everyone. Hey, Evan, uh, good to be here for the first time. Thanks for having me here a little bit. Of course. I didn't have to ask you to come on this show at all. No, I, yeah. I kind of live here. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, generally, I do a lot of YouTube stuff in Singapore. I, I'm a writer, actor, um, and just all around like filmmaking kind of fella. Right. But today, you know, I wanted to share a bit of like my passion for Singapore. And to talk a bit about something that at least I'm knowledgeable about, which is elections. Right. So that that was good that you brought me up with something that at least I have some contextual knowledge about. Right. Absolutely. Uh, so we have a question up uh, as a poll, and we want everyone who is watching and listening to answer. So uh, if you if you think the GRC system is a good system, answer yes, and, and give us your comments. If you think it's not a good system, answer no. If you're listening in on the podcast, uh, also just message us because we. We keep reading all the messages, uh, and we will talk about them. Uh, all right, should we should let's, we jump let's in? Let's dive into it, man. Let's, I'm, I'm, I'm psyched. All right, uh, so parliamentary election. So uh, in Singapore, we operate in a parliamentary democracy, which means that basically, according to the constitution, uh, we must have general elections for parliament uh, mm-hmm. within three months of the dissolution. So uh, parliament only can run for a maximum term of five years since its first sit. Uh, and after that, after those five years, within three months, there needs to be parliamentary elections. So parliament exists with 89 seats. So there are 89 seats up for grabs yep. every election. Uh, yeah. Can you vote, Elliot? Are yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm super old right now. <laughs> I think I, I voted only once in my entire life, actually, right, right now. So. I turned 27 in January. Okay. How many times have you voted? I have never voted because... What? Oh, because you went around. Yeah, so oh, right, right, right. Uh, I've been overseas and the one time I was eligible to vote, uh, I couldn't. Uh, and I really wanted to, to do it, so... It'll be interesting because like, the next one, you should be about the next one. It should be soon because yeah. the last one was 2015 yeah. and maximum term of five years, yes. which means that the next one will be sometime around 2020 20, max. Yeah. I right. think the, the, the latest date is actually 2021 for them, March and January. Right. If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Right. And, and the thing is, the Prime Minister, which is something that we'll learn later, mm-hmm. Prime Minister can basically say anytime he wants, election now. Yeah. <laughs> he can just be like, nah. Uh, and, and that changes everything. Yep, yep. So uh, you were mentioning about the seats, the 89 seats. How, right. how does that kind of work? Uh, maybe if I explain to the viewers. Right. So uh, in Singapore, basically, there are, uh, instead of the U.S., which m- most people think about when it comes to elections because mm-hmm. it's a big TV. It's very easy, yeah, the follow. Yeah. <laughs> but but uh, each seat is basically tied to a constituency. So there are different kinds of constituencies in Singapore. There are SMCs, there are GRCs. And we'll talk about what those things mean later. Uh, but essentially, uh, each each constituency and uh, gets to send certain people to a parliament and then uh, parties will compete to get those seats. Yeah, you kind of field in like candidates from your own party yep. and then you guys like joust it out exactly. within, within that. Uh, it's that basically segment. it's basically for some some countries it's entertainment TV, right? Because right, this is right. the, the best version to, yeah. to see people. So like some GRCs you put like 5v5, right? You put 5 people from the People's Action Party and 5 from the Workers' Party and then they campaign in for the votes in that in that area. Right, exactly. 
So, okay, before we go into campaigning, uh, which is quite interesting by itself, let's talk about voting. Okay, cool. So who gets to vote? Uh, do you want to you yeah, take so this Yeah, in, so in Singapore, yeah. basically, most important is that you're a citizen of Singapore. Right. Right, so if, if you're anything but a citizen, you, you can't vote. No, uh, and you shouldn't, because you, you need to be... You need to have a stake in this. Country. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's a there's a huge stake actually. Yeah. Because for us, you know, I, I think there's a there's a lot of things that go on the nitty gritties. But okay, anyway, you need to be a citizen of Singapore. Uh, you need to be 21 and older. Right. That's one thing. And you, it's not disqualified from being an elector under any prevailing law. So you have to be able to. Well, you can't have a a, a charge against you that means you can't. Vote, right. So right? one example is if you are currently in prison, you can't, you can't vote. vote. Yeah. Yeah. That's a that's a that's a big thing. Yeah. 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 And uh, has a Singapore residential address on its NRIC, so you yeah. have to be uh, residing in Singapore at that point in time. Or, or rather, you need to your 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 IC's yeah. address, but basically you, yeah. have a, you have a piece of place to stay. Right. right here. Yeah. And if you're overseas, then basically you need to you need to have reflected that in NRIC mm -hmm. because then that will set you up for overseas voting uh, application. Yeah. Uh, the, the other thing is that you have to be on the register of electors. So. A reason why you wouldn't be on a register of electors, for example, is if you didn't vote in a previous election. So for those of you guys who are thinking, oh, no, I didn't do that, uh, well, it's time for you to go and figure out how to get back on the register of voting mm -hmm. because uh, you wouldn't be allowed to, to vote. Right. Uh, That's, anyway. interesting. That's interesting. I've never, I never knew that particular aspect, that if you don't vote once, you kind of forfeit your right. ability to vote the next time. Yeah, a big part of that is because they want to make sure that you are basically committed to it. And so if you if you don't vote then they have to give you some kind of penalty. Uh, that way by by making sure that you're struck off the the voting list, mm -hmm. uh, it kinda gives you an incentive to always make sure that you're voting. So for you, for example, when you were overseas, how did that affect you? So you have you have to basically eat, uh, write a letter or, or submit a form that says, you know what, I'm not gonna be here during this time uh, and and they will they'll kind of preemptively make sure that you're not taken off the list. Okay, that's good, that's good. So if you guys are thinking of going overseas for like studies or whatever, just like Rovic, uh, keep that in mind. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, if you are a qualified elector uh, and your division is, is contested, then you must present yourself at a voting booth, uh, a polling station basically, on polling day, to cast your vote between 8 a.m. and 8 p.m. So there's a specific time. Uh, polling day is a big day in Singapore during... Uh, the election season, you gotta kind of put it on your calendar. Most of the time, they give you. They, uh, they, they give you a specific place that's near to you. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I live in Kemangan. Yeah. So they would just like uh, allocate me somewhere that is maybe five or ten minutes walk from right. my place. It's normally like a school. It's literally a school because like all they use all the public sector places. Yeah. You know? Or CC. Yeah. And stuff CCs. Like that. Simple places that anyone can just kind of access, and they can kind of block out. That's yeah. just one mark, but they have to block out. You mentioned it was from eight a.m. to eight p.m. Right. Right. So it's a full day affair. Basically. Exactly. Exactly, and then uh, it's quite it's quite interesting. But some places, I think most of the time it's a it is a, a I wouldn't call it a holiday, uh, but but they do give you the day yeah, off. Yeah, they they give you the, the a, a day to rest and chill, and then like a day to go and vote. So, right, yeah. right, because it, it's big. Uh, there are yeah. some countries, so it's it's quite interesting that in Singapore they do that because in some countries uh, it is actually quite controversial sure. that they don't. Yeah, that they don't. Yeah, so, they take leave and stuff. Yeah, so if you want to vote, uh, and ex so ex especially for example. Let's say I'm in the U.S. Mm -hmm. uh, and I come from New York, right? Yep. But I'm working in Chicago, right? If yeah. I want to vote, you technically to vote. I have to go all, all the way, way back, back, all the way back, back to yeah. New York. Uh, in Singapore, thankfully, that's not the case. You can vote uh, even if you live in Kambangan and 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you work in Clementi. Uh, what they do is that they give you, I think they allocate you a place already. So actually right. it doesn't really matter. Where, right. Let's say you're, you're working in Clementi on that day itself, but your voting station is in Kemangan, you still have to go all the way back. Right, to that right. But you're given the day off. You're given the day off, so you can stay, stay at home and work. Yeah. You workaholics. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Uh, at the end of the election, the returning officer, who is also a celebrity during this period, like mm-hmm. uh, I think we remember from, from the last time it was... Um, it was a very famous guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, what was, I'm going to Google this. Yeah, name. Google, Google his name. Because yeah, he, he, yeah, had, he had a voice that everyone loved. I loved it. Uh, returning officer. Yeah, he basically will compile a list of, uh, of electors who did not vote in the election. Uh, he'll pass a list of registering officer. But he'll also take all those votes, uh, find the results, and he'll present that in front of a public media um, for everyone to listen. So uh, normally this happens around midnight-ish, uh, close, close to... To, to the to the, uh, the late part of the night, where basically uh, he starts listing out who has won in every constituency. Mm-hmm. It's uh, Mr. Yam Ami. Yam Ami, you're right. Yeah, yeah, that Big guy. celebrity guy. I love this. He has uh, the best voice ever. Yeah. So, so like I said before, non-voters cannot vote in any subsequent uh, elections, both presidential or parliamentary, mm-hmm. uh, and you're disqualified from being a candidate also. So that's a key thing. Uh, if you do want to get your name off that list, then the only reasons, uh, some of the reasons that they have accepted, you're working overseas, you're studying overseas, you're living mm-hmm. with a spouse who is working or studying overseas. Yep. Uh, you are on vacation, which uh, in that case, unless you pre-plan your, your, your vacation way before your new elections, uh, I would actually be very surprised if you took vacation during election. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> don't absolutely. do that. You uh, take that free day off and then go follow party. Exactly. Please um, don't do that. So apparently you can get there on the list, but there's a little fee involved. Right. Yeah, do you see that? I think it says here, a fee of $50 will impose if non-voters do not have a valid and sufficient reason for not voting. Right. So, for example, if you didn't have any of those reasons you mentioned before, <laughs> you, have, you pay $50 and you're back in the system. <laughs> uh, but, but I think that makes sense because it takes... A, yeah, there's a lot of logistics involved in, exactly. in the election season. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, if you are unable to vote, uh, but you wish to vote at future elections, like I said, you can pre-apply for your name. There are a lot of e-services, and now with your SingPass, you can do all of that. Yeah, yeah, everything's uh, online, basically. Right. Uh, about, so your vote, is your vote secret? Um, a lot of people in Singapore always think that the government is watching. <laughs> is that true? Is that, uh, <laughs> I don't believe so. I know some people have commented that, you know, everything is kind of like scrutinized and overseen by uh, Big Brother, but... I, I myself think it's kind of free. Right. Yeah. It, it, it's interesting because I think people uh, conflate uh, all of government together, right? But I mm. think, uh, like we mentioned in, in one of our previous episodes, there are basically uh, three, three parts of us. Yeah. Yeah. So there's the judicial, mm-hmm. which takes care of, of, of maintaining the judicial system, yep. uh, the legal areas. There's the executive, yes. which is actually what most people think about when it comes to, uh, um, like, the operational part of government, and then that is the legislative, which is which the is basically lawyers. parliament. Yeah. So when when the legislative part is being decided, uh, there is actually a whole uh, machine of civil and public service that basically their job is to make sure all this keeps going. So so these are people who are not voted in. Yeah. These are people who are basically uh, their job is to make sure that government works, and these are the the behind the scenes people. Mm-hmm. And for them, like they have no uh, intrinsic intrinsic uh, by, by virtue of their role, no intrinsic right. motivation to, 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 to make yeah. your vote not. And of course, there's a lot of nuances in between. I mean, there are a lot right. of checks and balances that are kind of placed 
within uh, these arms themselves. So, right. And for that, you can actually go back to the previous podcast. Yeah. You know, plug it back in, and you guys can go watch that. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, we're gonna be now that we've this is episode six, so we're gonna start referring back to a lot of uh, old stuff. Right, Callbacks. Uh, yeah. yeah. That's great. That's great. Uh, but there's a rigorous process to ensure security. Uh, there's no break in the chain of custody. So whenever the papers get passed from one person to another, mm-hmm. uh, there's someone basically marking that out and making yeah. sure that. Is there's there's a custodian assignment. or something there just exactly. to make sure that everything then, is in the yeah. way it is. Yeah. And then. Uh, the papers have to go from the counting center to the Supreme Court where they are retained and safe custody for six months. So once everything is counted, they don't get destroyed yet. They are bought, brought to the Supreme Court, are kept there for six months, and then after that, they're destroyed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this process is an open to observation by anyone who is running for election. So, for example, if Elliot is running, mm-hmm. uh, you get to watch all of that. You get to right. say that I want to be there. So as long as I'm a candidate within the election itself, I can be present to ensure that nothing fishy is going exactly. on. Exactly. Okay, that's cool. That's cool. So before we go through the, day, uh, the hour by hour, uh, everyone, please note that there is a poll going on, and we want to see what your answers are. So do you think the GRC system is a good system? Uh, whether you vote yes or no, we want to hear your reasons. Uh, lots of controversy. We'll get into it later on in the yeah. episode. Yeah, I think the latter half will be kind of doing a deep dive into what the GRC is, exactly. how it operates, and what's at stake for each of these candidates. Yeah. So uh, maybe we'll talk a bit about the balloting process, right. you know, how it starts. Like before the, the poll starts at 8 a.m., uh, before the ballot boxes are used, they are shown to candidates and their polling agents who are like present there. Right. Uh, they're there so they can verify that the boxes are empty, so right. there's no premeditation. Uh, the boxes are then sealed by the presiding officers at the polling station, and this is all done, like I said, before 8 a.m., so before right. anyone can even step into the premise. Right. And then during the whole day, basically, you get to go vote. Uh, the way you vote is they give you a polling paper, you, you, you mark yep. very clearly. There's uh, a lot of people who don't really know how to mark. <laughs> yeah, they give you clear instructions like put an X in the box with the one you want to vote. Exactly. You know? And then some people put people a tick, wrong, yeah. some people put a circle. Uh, Oh, yeah. Read instructions. It's good for you. For the record, for the record, it's an X in the box of the person that you want. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then it closes at 8 p.m. Uh, so after the the poll is closed, the presiding officers at the polling station seal the ballot boxes containing the ballot papers uh, which have been cast. Candidates and their polling agents who are present to witness this uh, may also place their own seals on the ballot box. Right. Uh, the sealed ballot boxes carried by the presiding officer and then transported under police escort to the counting centers and the police officers on board the bus and stands guard over the ballot boxes the entire time. So it's never left uh, by itself for a single moment. Right, and it shouldn't be. Uh, yep. That's yep. the most important thing. So it's, it's very, all very accountable like, in that sense. Yeah. Right? There's, there's, you know there's at least a person in charge at every step of the way and right. it's, it's counter-checked because someone has to pass it to the next person and so on and so forth. Exactly. Yeah. So at the counting center before the ballot boxes are open, mm-hmm. the candidates and the counting agents again may inspect the boxes so they can say, hey, like actually the seal looks, uh, no, so they can they can totally call out and be like, hey, the seal looks a bit wonky. Right. And then, okay. and then that has to escalate and there's going to be a lot of hoo-ha. Uh, but most of the time, that's not going to happen because of all the reasons you mentioned. Uh, and then at that point, the seals are all uh, broken and then the ballot boxes are open, and then the papers are poured out, sorted, and counted. So, so the empty ballot boxes are made sure that they're empty. Everyone gets to look inside and be like, "Yeah, that's empty." Uh, someone could be like, "Ah, oh, no, that's that's a bit of a." There's like some <laughs> residual <laughs> uh, But no, no, 
Yeah. And this is the time when they actually go and they check, you know, for all the, the legitimacy of each of the, the slips, right? Exactly. So they are looking for uh, now, now votes, they're looking for votes that have been placed wrongly, like the ticks that you mentioned. Exactly. And those are kind of like, you know, chopped aside. Yeah. Uh, yeah, you want to talk about... Uh, so, after and after the announcement, announcement yeah. yeah. So, after the election result has been announced by the returning officer, uh, the ballot papers and other official documents used in the election are placed into separate boxes and then sealed once again. Uh, this process is witnessed by the candidates and the accounting agents who are present. So, everyone, all the parties kind of send in their own uh, agents to ensure, uh, you know, they, they have eyes on the prize at all times. Uh, and they may also place their own seals on the boxes so that they know that they've checked it for themselves. Uh, these boxes are then conveyed by police escort and retained in safe custody for the next six months within the Supreme Court. After those six months, as Rovit mentioned just now, they are destroyed by incineration and unless directed otherwise by order of the president. Right, and and that could be for a number of reasons. For example, if it's a very controversial vote, a close vote, yeah. Yeah, then they can, they can decide to do a recount. We've had recounts before in right. Singapore. Right, right. So and in fact, I think it was uh, Aljuna GRC see, the last yeah. time. Yeah, yeah. they... Uh, when the PR, when the PP thought actually maybe they have a chance of reclaiming okay, it, yeah. it was a very thin margin, and they decided let's call for a recount. Let's call for a recount. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So each one of the things that people find uh, quite scary is that ballot papers actually have serial numbers on them, uh, and they think that that's going to be something that's tied to their name. Yeah, you can trace it back. Right, mm-hmm. but but it's basically to protect the integrity of the democratic process in terms of just making sure that all the serial numbers are accounted for. So uh, your serial numbers aren't really uh, they don't. They don't really use it to, to trace who you are. When the ballot paper is issued, your voter serial number is written on the ballot paper, counterfoil uh, to facilitate uh, vote tracing. But it's only if there's an order from the court. Uh, but aside from that, you're, no one else is allowed to trace uh, who the voter is, uh, and the, the court must be satisfied that the votes have been fraudulently cast. Like there has to be real definitive proof for that. Uh, to so affect to, the results of the election. Yeah, basically. exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, so it allows voters to acknowledge that the presiding officer has identified the right name and makes the proceedings more transparent to polling agents. Uh, but, but I, I guess that is something that you can't really run away from if you want to balance secrecy as well as accountability. Yeah. So those are those are probably two core elements of of the election process: mm-hmm. secrecy and accountability. Right. Great. I mean, I think that was that was pretty uh, an efficient way of talking about. The process. I've I've sat through it myself. Right. And it's actually pretty fast. For those of you who think that it's a bit of a hassle, it in my experience it wasn't. Yeah, you can yeah. you can basically spend less than half an hour. Oh yeah, for yeah. sure. I think I did like fifteen minutes in out and then had breakfast. So right. It's really good. So what's interesting is that while I've never voted in a Singapore election, I've actually voted in a British election. Right. Uh, and that's because uh, this is fun fact for all those who are listening. Uh, as long as you're a Commonwealth citizen and you're you're residing in the UK, so if you are studying there, mm-hmm. you're working there, you actually get to vote in local elections. Uh, and and so I had to vote for my mayor. Uh, it was quite interesting. I actually did the work to read because I was like, it's my first vote ever. Right. 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 I, I read the the brochure. So. Uh, and that process also took me like 10, 15 minutes. Dang. Okay, that's uh, awesome. So it was quite, a, it was very interesting. Um, let's talk about who gets to run for elections. Uh, Elliot. Uh, I want to check whether I'm qualified <laughs> to run for elections. Exactly. So a person is qualified to be a candidate for elections as a member of parliament, an MP, right. if he is a citizen of Singapore. So if he or she. Or he or she, right. sorry. He uh, or we she. actually took this from the, the voting voters' uh, election. Uh, 
department. Uh, we'll all find out their name, their full mm-hmm. name later. But uh, they basically they only use the word he. So. Alright, 2018, guys. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I'm I'm qualified because I'm a citizen of Singapore. That's right. number one. Is 21 years and older above on nomination day. Right. Is registered as elector in the current register of electors. Right. So I am. Uh, is a resident in Singapore on nomination day. Has been so, and has been so far for a total period for not less than 10 years. Right. Uh, okay, so I have to have been here for. Right. You couldn't have gone and lived overseas for like three or four years, years. and then came back. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You need to be here for a good long period of time to understand the politics. Right. It's not subject to any of the disqualifications specified in Article 45 of the Constitution. What is Article 45? Good question. Okay. We don't have that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's, it's, it's there. It's there to Google. Right. Uh, possesses a sufficient degree of proficiency in all the main languages. or what? Well, in one of the, one of the yeah. four main languages. So yeah, English, yeah. Malay, Mandarin, and Tamil. Yeah, or Tamil. And unless incapacitated by blindness or other physical causes, we able to read and write at least one of the said languages so that he can take an active part in the proceedings of parliament. Right, so... So they, they're saying you have to be literate. Basically. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and actually, it's, it's, we probably will do an episode about parliament in general. Uh, this is purely about elections. Uh, but it, it's interesting, in parliament, you actually get to choose what language you want to listen uh, to, to proceedings by. So, so as long as you know one of the four main languages, you're good. Uh, yeah. Oh, that's in- okay. That's really interesting. Uh, the qualification and disqualifications for membership of parliament are set out in Article 44. So just now we talk about 45, not 44. 44 tells you if you're qualified. And 45 of the Constitution of the Republic of Singapore tells you if you're disqualified. So ah. 45, 44 is what you what you need to do to be qualified, and 45 what excludes you. So right. what includes and what excludes? Okay. So we've already gotten one response on the poll. Uh, do you think the GRC system is a good system? Uh, no is the answer that we've gotten. Very interesting. 100% if, knows right now. Yeah. <laughs> if you have a reason for it, put it in the comments. Uh, we want to hear why. Mm. Um, also, this, yeah, so who else qualifies? A person who desires to stand as a candidate for election as member of parliament in a single member constituency, so the SMC, uh, must complete the nomination paper in duplicate. So right. There's, I mean, there's some, like, there's some uh, papers you have to fill in. Who's that Uber guy that wanted... Uh, there was this Uber guy who wanted to run as a, as a president, but he also wanted to run in parliament. I remember this. I yeah, don't yeah, yeah. know the name. Uh, I know his name. It was something like Showin. Uh, Showin, yeah. Okay. Showin Yu. Yeah, right. yeah, his name was so iconic. Right. Uh, so a person like that could run for parliament just because he's been here long enough and also has filled out the due paperwork. And, and, and I think this is important because if you look at it, the barriers to entry are not that high. Yeah. Right? It really isn't. And it shouldn't be because... Parliament is meant to represent every Singaporean, right? So even if you run as an independent, uh, sure, your your ability to maybe win is not high, but you shouldn't be ineligible yeah, for running. Absolutely, absolutely. Right. Uh, so so the administrative stuff about 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 being a candidate, you have to you have to go to the nomination center. You need to have a nomination paper, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. which is basically application form. Yeah, there's deposits you have to make. Yeah. I mean, those are all the nitty gritty like uh, details. And but the, to be fair, that is actually where they get you. Yeah. So, so if you don't fill out your form right, if you don't uh, submit a yeah. duplicate, uh, some places are triplicates, right? Not in Singapore, but uh, you, if you watch your, your TV shows, I've seen that happen before. Really? Uh, okay, yeah. So that's how they get you. They're like, oh, this is only duplicate. You should have done it in triplicate. <laughs> uh, so all these things, you're basically, once the nomination paper is accepted by the returning officer at a nomination center, then you get to choose basically all your stuff, like how your name appears, 
and, and you actually get to give a speech as well. That's that's what I remember. So it's actually very fun to watch during election season uh, after the people will walk out, especially the non-PAP uh, candidates, because those are the ones that people are saying, like, who's actually going to compete? Right, right. I mean, they're less, lesser known line in that sense. Right, well, right, exactly. How much TV time do you actually get if you're not PAP yeah. MP, right? Yeah, so so they'll go and then they'll give you a big speech and, and that's where everyone's like, all right, is this someone who's worth uh, watching? Absolutely. Yeah. So that is that is basically um, how to get elected, or if you want to at least enter the election race. Right, exactly. Right? Uh, what do you want to move on to now, Logan? We will, let's talk about campaigning. Uh, so, uh, one of the key surprising things about Singapore's campaigning rules is that it's actually one of the shortest uh, in, in, in the world right now. Uh, the legal minimum campaigning time is nine days, right? Uh, so, so technically, uh, the government can choose to extend that, but, but nine days is actually on the low end. So, some places, for example, Canada has a minimum period of 36 days. Uh, the U.S. has no predetermined campaigning period. Mm-hmm. And so actually, if you remember, the whole Trump versus uh, oh, that was Hillary... Very, yeah, that was it, really long gone. That was basically a year and a half. Yes. So, and because in the U.S., there's no determined campaigning period. So you can... I mean, Trump is already starting the campaign right now for his <laughs> next election. Uh, so I think there are pros and cons to it. The, the pro is definitely like you don't exhaust your voters, yeah. right? Imagine if your election period was... Your campaigning period was a year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like the U.S. system is so different because they have a lot. They have to do a whole tour of the nation. You know what I'm right. saying? Over here, where we have uh, campaign rallies, it's usually kind of just allocated to a few spots. Exactly. Europe, and everyone just goes to those like small clustered areas. Right. So, I mean, what, what's not, what's the shortest we've had? You, you said nine days. Was that the minimum legal? That's that's the minimum legal. So you can't okay. ever go below nine days. I see. Well, wow. right. Interesting. interesting. And, and and I agree with you because uh, another thing about voting for individuals, and then when you vote for individuals, uh, actually I read a bit of research about it. When you vote for individuals, uh, research has shown that actually a longer time is helpful because you don't actually completely understand an individual per se. An individual is complex, you kind of have to take the time to understand every part of who they are. Whereas with a party, party is set in stone, right? Your manifesto is there, like sure the individuals within the party may be people that you you, you you suspect, but ultimately when you vote for someone in a parliamentary election, in a party-based election, uh, you are voting for the party's manifesto. Yeah. So our, our system is a bit more like the British system as compared to the American system. Oh, yeah. We I can mean, talk about that a bit, a bit later on. Though. Right. So basically candidates can only start the election campaigns from the close of nomination and up to before the eve of polling day. Mm-hmm. So that's the whole period. Uh, and there's this whole part about uh, how it needs to be responsible, dignified. Yeah. We don't do like senior campaigns here. Right. Uh, people can't buy, like in the US, you can buy a tax right. on, on TV and broadcast to kind of like shame your opponents and stuff right. like that. Yeah. I found it slightly amusing because uh, <laughs> I'd be having breakfast in my dining hall in the US and all of a sudden I'll see this gigantic smear campaign yeah. being like, XYZ hates your mom. <laughs> yeah, and endorsed by so and so, right? Exactly. At the end of it. And then I'll be like, wow, does he really hate my mom? My yeah. mom's in Singapore. <laughs> <laughs> like, what did my mom ever do? Uh, <laughs> right? So, yeah. So, so I'm I'm pretty happy about that. But but it, yeah, and it's actually in some ways uh, the websites actually say that it could even be against the law. So it could be. Something that could be you could be brought to court mm, mm, uh, for, yep, for swearing yep. someone else. Yeah, over here it's a really big thing, love. We don't do that for advertising in general, and we definitely don't do it for elections. Right. Yeah. Uh, 
Um, you want to talk about expenses? Oh yeah. Oh, also one more thing for like uh, for for the campaigning period, there's actually a cool off day at the very end of it. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So you can campaign all the way till the eve of the actual election. Right. Yeah. Because they want you like kind of sit down, let the thoughts simmer, exactly. settle down a little bit. Right. And then yeah. So it's it's a very strict rule, and any candidate found infringing upon that. Uh, it's gonna get a warning. I remember. I remember there was a there was a lot of sagas about this because people would post something on Facebook. Oh yeah, and then they say like, "Oh, that's campaigning." Yeah. I mean, it's gray lines, and in the world of social media, we're constantly evolving, so laws are slowly adapting to kind right. of figure these things out. So, uh, yeah, you mentioned expense expense limits for the elections. So the maximum amount a candidate can spend on elections in Singapore. This is interesting. Is capped at four dollars for each elector in the electoral division for an SMC and $4 for each elector in the electoral division divided by the number of candidates in the group for a GRC. So right. what does that mean? It means that it's not just four per head. In the SMC, it's four for your one guy. Right. But in a GRC, depending on how many people you're fielding within that party, so let's say you're saying three people to compete, right. then it's four divided by three. Right. <laughs> exactly. And it, it's actually quite interesting because uh, something that we, we found out later on is that some research has shown that your voter per per candidate is actually much lower right, in a GRC, yeah. mm -hmm. right? So for example, if you're running an SMC, you get to get like 14,000 people, for example. Yeah. Whereas in a GRC, maybe you'll get 45,000, but you have four or five people running. So your voter per, per candidate is it's only... much lower, yeah. exactly. So your, your, your expenses kind of like get skewed a little bit towards SMC's favor. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and not only that, actually, it also affects how 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 much mandate someone gets to get voted in. Because in a GRC, you actually have much less people voting the, as the mm -hmm. same person in. Uh, so it's quite controversial. Yeah, you're spending more money for less votes. Exactly. Right? For fewer votes, right? Right. Hmm, that's, that's an interesting component. And, and that's, so now since we're deep diving a bit more GRC system, if you guys have any comments, please leave them on our page. Right? Yeah. You can kind of have a conversation with us. And also, uh, the poll is still up. Yeah, and don't worry, the government isn't watching this. Uh, we are, and that's all that matters. I'm not the government. I just run YouTube. Right. I'm just chill. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, at the end of the parliamentary election, every candidate and its election agent must account for all their expenses. So there is some sort of auditing process uh, within the election. So don't worry, uh, we're not just taking taxpayers' money and we're exactly. really nearly about it. Exactly. Who's we? I mean, <laughs> no, not me, I hate the government. Uh, election boundaries. All right, so this is fun. Uh, how many of you have heard of the term gerrymandering? Uh, that is something that is in conversation. Mm -hmm. uh, there is actually... Basically, since 1954, so even before independence, uh, there was the Electoral Boundaries Review Committee uh, that was appointed to advise the executive, uh, executive meaning uh, the government, mm -hmm. the, the, the elected government, on the number and geographical division of the, divi of the electoral mm -hmm. divisions. Mm -hmm. So what's interesting is that the Constitution actually, nor any law, requires this to be done. But the Prime Minister basically continues to do that uh, as a way, uh, in, in, their, in their words, to maintain uh, recency and, 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 right. and currency. Right, like fair practice and stuff like that. Sure, but that, that is up for debate. That's up for debate. Right, yeah, yeah. so... Uh, so, uh, maybe I can explain to them a bit what gerrymandering is for people who are not... Sure, yeah, sure. go ahead. So, gerrymandering is basically you're cutting up electoral districts, mm -hmm. right? So, in, let's say in Singapore, uh, my GRC was like Chai Chi. Yeah. So, you, you would think, okay, everyone in Chai Chi is going to vote for this GRC. Uh, but that's not always the case. Right. Because of gerrymandering, you're cutting into maybe parts of Badok into, into Chai Chi or maybe parts of 
uh, Paya Leba, for example, into, into this space. So instead of just saying like, okay, everyone try Chi, uh, in, in that small little circle, you don't just draw a simple boundary, you're cutting into various places. Uh, they do this because it's supposed to be fairer to represent who is in charge of what areas. Right. So where, let's say, spending for Tai Chi would go to, it would be spread around that entire district, uh, right. including the new cut-up boundaries. So, so some of the considerations that, that, that would make a good electoral boundary uh, is, for example, a fair distribution of, of, of different demographics, so race, uh, religion, mm-hmm. uh, because you don't want... Uh, certain divisions to be voting on a certain demographic. Yes. Right? Uh, there are also things like socioeconomic status. Certain things you can't avoid, right? So, for example, the Holland Village uh, area is going to be more or less uh, a higher socioeconomic right, status. Right, right, right. And, but then, uh, in general, they try to they try to make sure that certain areas are... It, it would be good to make sure that they're well distributed. Um, back in the day, uh, it used to be based on... Uh, geographical features, mm-hmm. so yep. hill ridges, rivers, uh, but but that has changed because people are realizing uh, because they realize that it's much better to make it representative. I think actually interesting to, to for people who are interested in gerrymandering, it's interesting to go and and read about and hear about. There's actually some good podcasts out there by Planet Money uh, about gerrymandering in the U.S. because you can actually go and see the shapes and you'll mm-hmm. see how the shapes evolve from like what looks like a pretty decent shape. To like the wonkiest. They um, really cut it, <laughs> cut it to the, to the street. Like you could be living on, on one side of the road, and your neighbor across right. would be a totally different district from you. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And and they are they are data scientists mm-hmm. who basically run models to to help parties decide what is the best way. Yeah. And sometimes though, people call out on gerrymandering because it can skew your voter percentage within right. any district at a point in time. Um, while initially, you know, theoretically, it's supposed to be used to have fairer representation within any one governed area. Right. Uh, sometimes those lines can be a bit blurred. Yeah. yeah. So in Singapore, uh, someone would ask, you know, with so much controversy, uh, who who actually decides the boundaries? And it's actually a committee uh, that is chaired by the cabinet secretary uh, and four members who are senior public servants. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, uh, the, the key thing, though, is that all of this, the elections department, is actually under the PMO's office. So while it's not run by, while it's not, it, while it doesn't report to Parliament, which wouldn't make sense because Parliament gets voted, uh, it still reports to the Prime Minister's office, which some people consider controversial purely because they would want it to be completely independent. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So for example, in the 2006 committee, uh, the head of the elections department. Uh, the CEO of uh, Singapore Land Authority, the deputy CEO of HDB, and the acting chief statistician of government. <laughs> we didn't, I didn't know if we had that. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, these people basically sit on the committee. Uh, they are only convened shortly before general elections. So a lot of the work, like we said, a lot of the research, the data that we were talking about, like modeling everything, that is done by uh, the secretariat of the elections department, again, run by the PMO. Uh, the committee decides, makes the decisions on what, um, the boundaries are, and then it gives it to cabinet, um, and then cabinet has to, to decide whether they want to accept it or not. So, so they can still approve or reject. The exactly. Stuff. I see. So, so uh, there's a lot of questions that can be asked mm-hmm. about such a process, uh, whether it is actually uh, like, is it is it completely foolproof from from political bias, like rigging, and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah. And the, the key thing is. I, it, it's important to agree at this point 
that we don't know. <laughs> yeah, right? you know, it's like, hard to tell. Actually, right. yeah. I, I, I think people who who completely put their faith in a process mm-hmm. that has these questions need to really ask, like, what are you putting your faith? Right. In? One way we can think about it is actually through the lens of like the American American uh, system of you know their their recent elections. We saw Trump, for example, getting less of the popular vote. Yeah, exactly. The overall vote. The yeah. overall vote, yeah. right? So in terms of number of votes cast for him, it was significantly less yeah. than for the Democratic side. But he gets elected to it because after you cut up the boundaries and you see how many states he's won, the Republicans came on top. Yeah, exactly. So that's, so, one, that's one way gerrymandering can kind of affect oh, uh, your results. And, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, the whole voting uh, research field is actually very interesting uh, for a lot of people who are interested in that. Go check out stuff like ranked choice voting. So it, it goes against first past the post, where basically as long as you have the most votes, you win. Uh, that, that's how, uh, how two presidents ago, uh, Tony Tan, that's how he won, right? He got mm-hmm. only around 30-something percent Maybe of the votes, yeah. but he still won the presidential election. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a whole field of research that I think is very interesting. A lot of people should probably check it's it out. It's a lot of messy type things, right? Yeah. Go on. Yeah. yeah, a lot of modeling, uh, yeah. but it's very interesting. Cool, cool. Uh, so on to the next part of the GRC the, Probably the juicy part of it. Oh, that. this is, <laughs> well, I, I would say juicy is an understatement. <laughs> So, so do you want to tell them what the GRC is? Sure. So a GRC is a group representation constituency, and it's a type of electoral division or constituency in Singapore in which teams of candidates, rather than single people going up, uh, compete to be elected into parliament as MPs for that constituency. So it's like a, if you vote them in, it's a, if you vote the team in, everyone from that team goes in. Exactly. Rather than, uh, you don't just pick the individuals you want from that team. Yeah. Uh, the government stated that the GRC scheme was primarily implemented to enshrine minority representation in parliament. Uh, and at least one of the MPs in the GRC must be a member of the Malay, Indian, or another minority community in Singapore. Right. So in addition, it was economical for town councils, which manage public housing estates to handle these larger constituencies. So, so... The, the, the historical, the primary inspiration is twofold, minority representation and economies of scale. Yeah. So let's remember that because uh, that's going to evolve <laughs> as, we, as we see. <laughs> so actually, before the GIC was accepted as the norm, there were a couple of other ideas actually, uh, one of which was to twin constituencies. So for example, uh, Chai Chi and Bedok, hypothetically, yeah, right? Yeah. If they were two different constituencies, uh, those two MPs would contest as a pair, but one of the two has to be a minority community. Uh, but a lot of people, especially the Malay MPs, were saying, hey, you don't believe that we can get elected by ourselves. Uh, so, right, right, <laughs> right, right, right. So you, it, it, I can see it pretty patronizing. It, it felt like it felt like a formative action sort of. A, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and, and it actually does reek of it all the way uh, because uh, I think one of the key things that we'll hear is that the key, uh, one of the driving reasons is because the founding fathers really, really didn't believe uh, that that people would vote uh, without looking at race from the very beginning. Um, so in order to prevent the Malay MP from losing confidence and self-respect, this is word for word, <laughs> the government dropped the proposal. You, you must use the air quotes, man. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All those people on the podcast can't see them, but right. air quotes. We, uh, we're doing air quotes podcast. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there were a couple of other ideas for mm-hmm. minority representation. Uh, there was, and this was proposed by a constitutional, constituent, Constitutional, constitutional commission chair. It's Chief Justice Wee Chong Jin, right? Yeah, That's he, who we're talking about. He chaired right? this commission. Uh, in 1966, so there were three ideas, uh, all of which are actually pretty interesting in retrospect. The first is that 
um, there would be a committee of minorities. So there would be this 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 grand committee, uh, and they would every time they would elect three persons to go directly into parliament. Uh, so it would be it would be like for example, everyone else gets to vote, and then there would be this committee, and they'll just send three minorities, to, uh, to, which is so weird. The Jedi Council, <laughs> exactly, exactly, because it, and the commission uh, rightly pointed out that it was inappropriate and retrogressive and uh, electing like sending unelected it's members from right. from, the, from from the populace uh, into into chamber uh, so, uh, so it felt like a bypass in that sense exactly right right uh, okay. which again like look i'm i'm minority right <laughs> and and mm-hmm. i want to be voted in on my own merit if, if hypothetically i was running yeah. um, the second proposal uh, is that proportional representation so that means uh, instead of doing a grc system where where the the grcs need to have one person it basically says, out of Parliament, out of the 89 seats... Yeah. You had selected number of seats that were already reserved for certain races. Yeah. yeah. And that, that kind of reminds me of the ethnic integration quota for Yeah, SDB. I mean, <laughs> this, this was rejected because um, they cited it could cause more party tensions. Exactly. Right? Between, like, they didn't want to draw the lines of Parliament just based on race alone. Exactly. Uh, and finally, the third proposal was to have an upper house. So our, our Parliament is basically... Unicameral, which is basically just one house, mm-hmm. uh, but they wanted to have an upper house similar to the House of Lords. Yeah, the, the British Parliament has the House of Commons and the House of Lords. Right. So they were on the bicameral. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, system. Right, and then this upper house would have uh, members that were elected or nominated to represent the racial, linguistic, and religious minorities in Singapore. So it's basically somewhat like the NCMP system that currently exists, but they would put them in their own house. Uh, and this would be, this was rejected because it was backward looking uh, and politicians could attain a seat without taking part uh, directly in, election. in the elections. Yeah. Right. So basically, end of the day, most, our election kind of boils down to everyone needs to vote for these people. Exactly. Right? We don't want anyone who can just slip through the system and find themselves in a seat of power. It's interesting that you say that because does that uh, You're talking about the GIC system. Yeah, does the GIC right. system not allow that? That's right, a big right, question. right. That, that is an interesting question. Something that I mean, I, I live in the Marine Parade GIC area, right. right? So that's always been a thing for us, where we have senior minister Go Tok Tong right. as part of the GIC committee. Right. So it's always been interesting because the people he picks, you know, I always want to vote for the man, but because he has other people around, I have to kind of consider: is my vote worthy of going to that? Spot? Right. Yeah. So there's a lot of considerations, right? It's mm-hmm. number one within that party. Uh, does everyone actually represent the, the views that I am voting that for? Way for yeah. But also then you have to think, okay, what about the other part? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? what's, the, what's the alternative? It's quite, a, it's quite an intense system for, for Singapore. Um, insofar as you've mentioned how short our campaigning periods can be, right. imagine having to go into an election and vote for two, first you have to vote for two different parties, and right. it's the number of candidates per group. You have to understand each and every, every one of them, and then think about them as a collective and then put them side by side to each other and then make your decision. Yeah. yeah. So some people, they don't even do that much, right? They just look at it and they look A and B. Which one looks better? Which one? Which one do I know more about, yeah. basically? Yeah. Right? Because the amount of information to, to process during a short period of time. And you know, we're, we're still working adults, right? This mm-hmm. is Singapore after all. Um, yeah. How much time do I have to, have to spend just to think about politics during that period of time? Yep. So, so what, what is a minority race? That's the question we asked. In our, in our HDB episode, uh, the answer is a person is regarded as belonging to a Malay or Indian community if they are, uh, if they regard themselves uh, as a member of the community. So you have to self-identify 
which is a bit iffy, but let's let's mm -hmm. go ahead with it. Yeah. Uh, and they need to be accepted by their community as such. Right. So not only do you need to identify as a Malay or Indian, uh, if you're if you're you trying need, to run, you need the, people to back you up on that. Exactly. On that statement. So so there's probably uh, some reason to 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 affiliate yourself uh, with those groups. Uh, I think this becomes a bit more contentious if you are mixed race, mm -hmm. if you are. Uh, I mean your descent, your lineage. Like for me, I'm a Peranakan, right? So there's some right. lineage, some Chinese lineage in, in it. Okay. Yeah. Would it be weird if I just came out as like, hey, I want to run as a minority? Right. That would be. My would you? Lineage. Would you? Would you have been eligible for the presidential election recently? I don't know. I mean, I've would never the Malay community accept you? I don't. Want, I don't want to do that, man. Like, <laughs> I, I'm already very Chinese, right. so I'm not gonna reap a more of it right. than I am. Right. <laughs> So, so that's but that's an interesting kind of line because it's basically a way of saying as long as you're from any sort of minority and you can identify and prove that you're from that minority, you you are eligible. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So. So non Chinese now. Yeah, yeah. 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 Which is the majority. Which is the majority. Yeah. yeah. Not let no one tell you otherwise. <laughs> uh, so the GRC scheme came into effect in 1988, uh, and prior to that, everything was single-member constituencies. So all of this actually falls under the Parliamentary Elections Act, uh, and the Parliamentary Elections Act states that there must be at least eight SMCs, mm -hmm. and that the number of MPs that uh, come from GRCs cannot be less than a quarter mm -hmm. of the total number of MPs. So, so that kind of gives us the 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 the, the the context of which most of this must operate in. The exact numbers are actually announced by the president uh, on recommendation by the cabinet. So, so there must be between three and six MPs in a GRC, uh, and this precise number is also declared by the president. Mm -hmm. So, for example, in the 2015 election, there were 13 SMCs mm -hmm. and six GRCs. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's interesting because. Uh, they don't have to announce it till election season begins. Right. So this actually becomes a bit of an issue if you're from an opposition party. Oh yeah. Yeah. So again, like who knows this information? The ruling government. The ruling government will know, right. and only when it comes to election season, then they're like, okay, so we have a total of X number of people, of seats that need to be filled for each GRC. Yeah. And now these opposition parties have to scramble to build these teams or to move people around right. to fill for these different places. Right. Yeah. And and I don't think I've. I, I wonder if there has been ever a response to this because I tried looking for it, like whether the government tried to give a reasoning for this. Mm -hmm. uh, I couldn't find anything. Right. Uh, so it does it does seem like just a, a reliance on, on, on the system as it is rather than actually providing a rationale. But I mean, like it says that it's uh, recommended also by the Electoral Boundaries Review Committee. So right. perhaps there might be something behind the, the screens that we're not seeing. Sure. I, yeah, and why is it behind the screens? Uh -huh. <laughs> let's, let's, let's ask for more. Yeah. Uh, if, for example, someone in that GRC, so let's say the elections have happened uh, and, and you're in parliament, if someone from the GRC uh, has to vacate that position, uh, there is no by-election. So yeah. basically, uh, either, uh, yeah, the by-election is only required if all the MPs in the GRC vacate their parliamentary seats. Triggered by air quotes, death or resignation. Right, exactly. So an example is, for example, uh, I remember there was, there have been a number of MPs that had to resign because they went in a fair, mm -hmm. or there were some issues of impropriety. Uh, yeah, but the GRC will continue operating. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think I actually found that um, there was, um, 
Chanjun Singh, actually. Let me, let me oh, try to man. find it. He made a comment about this, and he basically said that the reason for it is because the whole point of the GRC is to maintain a certain level of racial uh, proportion uh, yes. within parliament. But then, uh, and, and the way to, to kind of uh, enable that is to get the GICs to have their representation. But once you're in parliament, if you take out someone, even if that person is not, even if that person is from a minority race, the overall proportion within parliament would be, uh, would still be represented. Right, because in the GIC, you kind of have to have a minority race within your party. Exactly. Anyway. Uh, I don't know how I feel about that. Uh, I mean, I, I know that for me, that kind of seems a bit iffy. Right. Like, I'm, I'm a bit more liberal with that kind of thought. Just going like, okay, um, it does skew the number of people in, in the seats. We only have like, what, 68 yeah. seats in, in total. So even losing one person can mean a big deal. No, we have uh, 89. 89. Right. What did I say? Did I say 68? Yeah, 68. Uh, 89. 89, 89 seats. Magic number, guys. Yeah. <laughs> even even lost one person is, is, quite a, is quite a big deal. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, is this is this kind of uh, counterweighted by the NCMP scheme? Do you think? Um, I don't know. I I think again it, it goes back to what each of the intentions are, right? So so if the vote is meant to be uh, somewhat representative of racial votes, mm-hmm. uh, rather not racial votes, but actually moving away just from, like for for a specific community right, within Singapore. Exactly. I don't think an NCMP or NMP vote kind of uh, balances that. Again, we want, the, but uh, mm-hmm. I, would, I would argue, and this is up for debate, so if you have an alternative opinion, messages, or, or put it in the comments. Right on. I, I, I would argue that the best uh, parliamentary system is one where everyone is elected, right? So there's no, like, weird way of putting people in through some kind of to nomination. Talk, to talk within chamber. Right, right exactly. Yeah. Everyone needs to be voted in by the people. Uh, and I and I think that's the most important thing. So, but some people here. So, um, I don't actually know the exact number, but we have 100% vote on whether we think the GRC system is 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 good or bad. 100 people have said no. Um, there are some possible reasons for that. So, these are some of the criticisms of the GRC system. Uh, the first is that the electoral system reduces the chance of opposition representation because it's a winner-take-all system. So uh, an NGO group called Marua basically said that it creates a barrier to entry for smaller opposition parties because, uh, like we said before... If, if they lose, the entire party loses. Exactly. Right? And then, most importantly, they also need to field that many members. Right? So, for yeah. example, opposition parties may only be uh, 20 to 30 members mm. uh, large, and that's, that's because Singapore is a small country. Getting that many people is so competitive, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, to, to, to field not only one five-member Team, but if you want to, if you want to be in government, then you have to field multiple five-member yeah. teams. Um, it allows for, uh, by Marwa, uh, quotation marks, podcast listeners, uh, allows for free writing of untested candidates. And this is what you were talking about, right? So yeah, in Tanjung Pagagi uh, GRC, for example, and in your case, Marie Parade, um, if you have a heavyweight, so former uh, prime ministers Lee Kuan Yew and Go Chok Tong, you, you kind of know that they they have been good ministers. I think even even opposition members would kind of agree that they were good ministers, mm-hmm. right? Uh, yeah. I thought they'll comment that you know, if you, whichever opposition party feels candidates can serve as like the sacrificial lamb. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. It's a contest for the for the sake of contesting. So you put those five people who are gonna definitely exactly lose. <laughs> because it would be even worse to let them just walk over. Yeah, yeah I yeah. think. Uh, yeah. So so in these places, it's it's almost impossible. And, and I, like we said before, what was the initial motivation? It was. 
uh, economies of scale and mm-hmm. ways representation. Yeah. But now, uh, and this has been it's been openly talked about by 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 Gochok Tong. It, it's actually used to test uh, new candidates. Mm-hmm. So they will put them together with with heavyweights to kind of give them a chance uh, of of campaigning without actually feeling too heavy a loss. Uh, if, if, for example, they don't perform well during the campaign season, but they ultimately still get elected. Mm-hmm. That's a that's an interesting way of uh, angling it, right? Yeah. Because uh, in the in the same regard, if you're in the opposition party and you have a few strong candidates, but not enough to kind of uh, spread them throughout the different GRCs and SMCs in Singapore, what could happen is that you know you have two strategies, right? One, I could contest in a, in a place where I know I'm going to win, so put all my best candidates in one zone. And then I get elected to government, so all the five, the best of us are represented within parliament. Oh, yeah. But what happens is that I can't win the majority. I can't, because I only have one GRC with the entire thing. So yeah. I'm now a small thing where everyone else is won everywhere, you know, in other constituencies. Exactly. So it's a very, it's a very difficult one to live with. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, let's talk about basically cooling off day. Okay. Um, so, so, like we mentioned before, uh, cooling off day is the day before polling day, and this is actually a very important day in Singapore. People take it very seriously here. Oh, I think it's very seriously. A couple of things that you're not allowed to do. Mm. So first of all, you're not allowed to publicly display any kind of election advertising uh, that is not already displayed. So if it's been there, it can remain there, but you can't post up new stuff. You can't do any canvassing. You can't wear badges or symbols. So so you basically. You, we, yeah, we as <laughs> citizens, we cannot do this. Yeah, I can't be like repping PAP on exactly. that day or carrying my workers' party umbrella. Yeah, even though they give them out at all the rallies, right? I can't use the paraphernalia. Yeah, exactly. Great. Uh, there are some exceptions. Uh, for example, if you already have bought a, a broadcast on TV, that will that will stay. If there are reports in the newspaper, those are fine. Uh, there are. If books were previously scheduled for publication, those are fine. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I can't do Facebook posts. Basically, because they say even the lawful internet advertising is, is like a bit of an iffy scale, right? Exactly. Yeah. So, uh, but what's funny is that actually, while we can't do that, we can't wear like party logos and badges, yeah. the candidates can still wear them. The people who are ele- who are being part of the elections, you know, yeah. the candidates, they can wear their own party logos. Yeah, exactly. Time, so. exactly. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about about some of the key stats. So as we all know, the PAP People's Action Party. Uh, for mm-hmm. those of you who are, who aren't Singaporean, People's Action Party has won every single seat in election uh, from 1965 to 1981. Yeah, they had the longest run streak, man. In in the world. In the world. <laughs> in the world. In the world. Wow. Well, no. So they had the longest streak of ruling government in the world. In yes. the world. Yes. Whoa. Uh, okay. But, but no Singapore. For, for holding every single seat, I'm not too sure. Okay. okay. Uh, and so there was no elected opposition MP for almost two decades. Uh, there were a number of reasons for this. I, th- I think it's up for debate how much this had influence. Key reason people cite is because all opposition MPs, all our opposition politicians were detained in prison. Ah, <laughs> uh, and this was during the early days. Yeah. Uh, but from 1984, opposition politicians actually started getting elected. So there were very be, incremental steps. I can see. Yeah. yeah. So there would be normally two, uh, one to two seats every time given, uh, not given, but won. But won. Actually, yeah. okay, let's use the right word. They were won. Yeah. Uh, they weren't given uh, by by opposition politicians, uh, and basically it, it kept going until uh, and, and in total since 1965, since independence. 
uh, only 12 opposition politicians have been uh, elected into parliament. Mm. So since 1965, there are 89 wow. seats. Uh, there have been, you know, at least, I would say, 10, 10 parliaments. I mean, at since, since the... This is are we coming since the GRC implementation? Uh, no, no. no. Since, 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 independence. since independence, right? Right. So it would be interesting to know how many how many since elections have actually happened. Yeah, yeah. We should well, find I mean, that out. Yeah. Uh, but but twelve politicians altogether, and that let's give a name: JB Chairatnam, Shamsi Tong, uh, Ling Hao Dung, uh, Chiu Chai Chen, Yao Shen Liang, Li Li Lian, uh, and six incumbent candidates from the, the Workers Party. Party. So, yeah, uh, the iconic ones like Mo Kia Kyung, Sylvia Lim still there, yeah. uh, Chen Shou Mao, yeah. Pritam Singh, yeah. Muhammad Faisal bin Abdul Mana, yeah. and Peng Yang Wat. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, so these people I have been... Imagine only 12. I, I, I always imagined it was much more, but 12 is... I, I thought so too. <laughs> Surprising uh, when we look at the stats. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so that's crazy. In the last election, actually, uh, it would be interesting to know that uh, 93.56% of voters turned up. Right. So that is actually a really good number. It's like uh, over here, what 2.3 million votes cast. Yeah, and and I when I when I was first doing research, I was actually pretty scared to find out that number because in places like the US, voter turnout is uh, no, notoriously it's low. It's really low. Yeah. 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 Uh, and it's good to see that people turn up. It's good yeah. to see that people. And turn imagine this 2.3 people. Some people might comment that. Uh, 2.3 isn't a huge number when you think about the number of people in Singapore, but the number of citizens in Singapore, actually, that's a fairly good uh, representation. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, there have been basically efforts to to make sure that, that the election system is kept without uh, fraud. I think that's one of the key things but, that, yeah. that, that people... So Freedom House, which is a non... Uh, non-governmental and non-profit yeah. has basically noted that elections in Singapore are technically, oh, that's interesting, uh, are technically free of electoral fraud. Uh, uh, I, echoes, echoes. Yeah. Uh, I did not read technically when I first wrote this. <laughs> uh, but, but it's good to know that it's technically free. Um, there have been a number of issues with, with elections that we've talked about, but uh, let's talk about two key things uh, as we wrap up. Uh, and we'll probably talk about them more in our parliament episode. But basically, there are also other people that get put into uh, parliament that are NCMPs and NMPs. Mm-hmm. So you want to talk about NCMPs? Yeah. So uh, what is the NCMP, firstly? It's a non-constituency member of parliament. Uh, and he or she is a member of the Singaporean Opposition Political Party who, according to uh, the Constitution and Parliamentary Elections Act, is declared to have been elected a member of parliament of Singapore despite having lost in the general election. By virtue of having been one of the best performing losers, so it's the it's the runner-up prize. Right. Uh, NCMPs enjoy most of the privileges of ordinary members of parliament. Right. And the the key difference is that they basically just can't vote on stuff like the constitution okay. changing, uh, or like removing the president, for example. Uh, it was actually introduced in 1984 uh, by Prime Minister Lee Kuan Yew to ensure that. Opposition always had a voice, regardless. Right. And let's say there was a clean sweep by PAP, for example, then they would still have to take someone on from the opposition party to at least give some sort of opposing view. Right. And, I mean, it was actually a bit of a political play because Lee Kuan Yew has admitted that it was to show young people what would an opposition look like. It's right. kind of being the, the informal way of it. was like, okay, you want opposition, I'll give you opposition. Okay? i show you what it's like. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he, he was kind of trying to show that actually it, it, it's not that great. Uh, yeah. But... But I think people have... It's really good, just putting two people from the opposition party. Yeah. That's really helpful. Yeah, and then, I mean, 
So it, it's interesting because it's one of the most criticized parts. Mm -hmm. uh, the GRC is one of the big ones. This NCMP scheme is actually the other Another one, yeah. big criticized part mm -hmm. because uh, it's considered undemocratic, number one, yes. like, like we mentioned. So it, it's a free bypass right. in one sense. Uh, but most importantly, even the opposition doesn't like the scheme yeah. because it basically says that it makes the electorate feel like, actually, you know what, I don't actually, don't, I don't actually need to vote the opposition in. I can just hope that they get put in by the NCMP scheme. Yeah. Uh, and then the PAP. It kind of devalues and uh, delegitimizes their position there as well. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so, for example, Lotia Kang very famously said in the last election, if I don't get elected in, uh, I'm not going to take up the NCMP seat. Uh, and, and, but other people have, JB Jiranam famously took it, Steve mm -hmm. Shah, Sylvia Lim have famously taken and And they have raised notable points uh, with regards to different policy issues. Uh, but, but as we mentioned before, they can't make changes on constitutional changes. Uh, any uh, like they can't amend the money yeah, bill. They, yeah. uh, they can't do motion of no confidence. Uh, they can't remove the president. Mm -hmm. uh, there's also the NMP scheme, uh, and this is meant for people who are not affiliated to any political party. Uh, well, some celebrities fill that role once right. in a while. So yeah. I mean, not celebrities. They represent the, the media and entertainment industry. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah. so celebrities, <laughs> not celebrities. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but so, there, there are even people from the non-profits. From non-profits, yeah. So yeah. basically, try to take people from different walks of life who they feel can give a worthy opinion or a sort of a different voice that, right. uh, uh, to put the finger on the pulse, basically. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's about all we have uh, for, for elections. Nice. I feel like we went through a lot, but I, I also feel like there's a lot more. Uh, I mean, because the election process is, is important to know how it's run, but once you go down to what happens after the elections and what's at stake in the elections, which is your parliamentary side things, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a whole other can of things. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think it's worth keeping an eye out. So, like, there's a lot of stuff like the controversies and, and, and some of the sagas that have happened during elections. Uh, we could even do a part two on this. Elliot, would you want to come back? Yeah, of course. <laughs> as long as you didn't find my presence annoying. <laughs> no, absolutely not. I really enjoyed having you. Uh, if you guys liked having a guest host, uh, uh, send Elliot some love. Uh, uh, send me some love as well if you if you like me. Uh, but, but <laughs> I think some love. Don't worry, don't worry, buddy. Yeah. All right, uh, Willie, we we do miss Willie. Uh, mm -hmm. We we actually experimenting. So if you like if you like uh, having more people on board, we we are looking at that and, and give us your feedback. Um, subscribe to our podcast uh, because if you couldn't catch the whole episode, which it's a very real thing. Uh, Facebook Live is is it comes and goes. Um, Subscribe to the podcast. You get to listen to the whole episode uh, on your way to work. Where, where um, can we find these podcasts? So go to Apple Podcasts uh, and search for SG Explain. We're on there. All our episodes are on there, and you get you get to find them. Uh, we got an update to the vote uh, from 100% no. We and have 50-50. It's up for grabs. Uh, anyone, any, anyone wins. Uh, <laughs> Max Chua has said... Uh, Hi, Elliot. Oh, and, hi, Max. And I have, I, have, I have good friend Jacob all the way from Chicago Whoa. saying uh, great job. And he, he, and he sends you love. love. He yeah. you love. Good, appreciate good. it. I appreciate nice. it, uh, It's always nice when you ask for the love. People send you the love. <laughs> yes. you know, so. It would have been very embarrassing if I didn't. It's nice to have you on the show, man. Really Absolutely. I love having you. Hopefully, we'll get to have you back. Uh, and for all our listeners and viewers, uh, we'll see you in two weeks. See ya. Bye.